Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hi, thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. Throughout our series on memory, we've focused on research from a variety of disciplines within arts and sciences here at Washington University in St. Louis. But there's one issue we haven't brought up yet that's obviously very important in any discussion of memory and research about memory, and that's Alzheimer's disease. Millions of people in the United States alone face Alzheimer's, and researchers at Washington University and across the country are working to better understand the disease in order to improve diagnosis and treatment. For a window into some of these developments, we turn to Dr. David Holtzman, professor and chairman of the Neurology Department at Washington University School of Medicine, where he also serves as associate director of the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. In today's podcast, Holtzman provides an overview of Alzheimer's and explains some of the specifics of what's going on inside the brain of someone who has the disease. Later on, he'll share some of his own findings and describe a few ongoing areas of research. Dementia refers to when somebody has difficulty with memory and thinking that is new for them and is impairing their function. So Alzheimer's disease is one of the many diseases that causes dementia. It's the most common cause in people, let's say, over 65. So there's probably 100 different things that can cause a person to become demented, but Alzheimer's disease either causes or contributes to about 75% of cases of dementia. So it's, it's certainly true that most people that develop Alzheimer's disease, the first, some of the first symptoms are trouble with recent memory. No question about that. And we know that if you look in the brain for where the damage is occurring, there is a, a lot of damage early on in areas of the brain that mediate memory formation, like the hippocampus is part of the brain that does that. As the disease goes on further, then other parts of the brain become involved too, and, and things like language get affected, personality, um, and other functions as it gets worse and worse. But early on, it can be relatively focused on memory. Okay, so of those diseases that cause problems with memory and thinking, it appears that proteins build up in the brain that somehow damage cells and lead to the thinking changes like memory loss. The main protein that builds up first in Alzheimer's disease in time course is this protein called amyloid beta. So amyloid beta is normally made by our brain cells all the time, and it's it's not clear that it has a normal function in the brain. There's a larger protein from which it's derived, which probably plays a normal role during development of the brain and even during normal function. But this little piece of this much bigger protein called amyloid beta may just be a waste product and normally not do a whole lot in the brain. But when it changes from a soluble form, meaning it's, it's completely dissolved in brain fluids, that doesn't cause a problem, but when it kind of clumps together and kind of gets clogged up and can't be cleared away, it damages cells. It seems to be toxic. Not all, but a lot of the work my lab has done has been trying to figure out what controls the metabolism or what controls the production, what controls the clearance, and what controls the levels of amyloid beta in the brain. Um, we've, we've, we've always assumed if we could determine those factors, we could potentially do things like delay when it builds up. 
or clear it out. And um, so those are some of the some of the topics we've worked on are related to that. So this buildup of amyloid beta in the brain isn't a rapid process. It can begin as much as 10 or 15 years before someone first experiences symptoms of Alzheimer's, or even earlier. And as Dr. Holtzman explains, this large window potentially provides a time when, in the future, treatments could slow or stop the progression of the disease. A lot of us who work in this area for a while think that the most effective way to block the buildup or get rid of the buildup would be to identify, let's say, treatments or drugs or therapies that, that do that. If you applied such therapies to people, you would apply it to people who are still nor- cognitively normal, who are just beginning to develop that buildup and not wait till people already have symptoms. We, we know that by the time you have memory loss, there's a massive amount of buildup of this protein in the brain, and further, there's already a lot of cells that are gone, they're lost already. So if we, uh, we've always theorized if you could move earlier, even if you could halt the disease at that point, from the patient's standpoint, they are still normal. Even if there is some damage in the brain already, if you, if you can halt the process you know, five years before you'd become demented, then theoretically you could stay normal for the rest of your life. So that's where we're trying to move um, with different approaches in the future in humans. The production, buildup, and clearance of amyloid beta is clearly an important area of research related to Alzheimer's, but there's more at play. Let's hear about two additional proteins being studied by Dr. Holtzman and his colleagues. One thing that we're, we've worked on for a while that we continue to work on is a protein and gene called APOE. So APOE is a gene, if you have a particular form of it, you're at a much higher risk of getting Alzheimer's disease. So if you have what's called the APOE4 variant of APOE, if you have one copy of that gene variant, you're about four times more likely to get Alzheimer's disease than somebody else. If you have two copies of the variant, you're about 12 times more likely to get Alzheimer's disease. And so we're, we're, we've been working for a number of years on understanding why it does that. And it pe- appears, at least in part, to be, again, that this, this protein influences amyloid buildup. And the bad one, APOE4, does that much worse than the other forms. But we're also trying to develop treatments now based on targeting APOE. That has not been done yet effectively in the field. And so I think that's, um, we just published a paper just last week where it looks like we might be able to target, at least in animals, APOE with antibodies that the body makes against it to decrease Alzheimer's pathology in the brain. And so we're pursuing that more in follow-up studies now in the coming year. And then one of the other major areas we're working on is a collaboration with another lab at Washington University, um, the lab of Mark Diamond, is trying to target the other major protein that builds up in the brain in Alzheimer's disease, and that protein is called tau. So tau accumulates also inside nerve cells And the accumulation of that protein correlates very well with the brain degenerating, even better than the amyloid protein. And uh, together with Mark's lab, we've been identifying ways to, uh, like with amyloid, to prevent tau spreading in the brain and tau buildup in the brain. And it looks like we have some pretty effective ways now of doing that that we're 
from animal studies, and, and we're hoping to bring that type of therapeutic approach into people. But what has been discovered about how or why this buildup happens in the first place? Let's take a step back and hear about some earlier research carried out in Holtzman's lab. This section may be of particular interest to any students listening in, especially now that final season is approaching. That's because it turns out that, at least in laboratory tests, there's a relationship between amyloid buildup and sleep deprivation. So a few years ago, one of the things we found really, I think is really interesting, is that just normal neuronal firing. So when, when nerve cells communicate with each other, they send electrical signals back and forth. And what we found is that in that process, this amyloid beta protein, which builds up in Alzheimer's disease, is formed by normal neuronal activity. So when a nerve cell communicates with another one, this amyloid protein is produced. So when we saw that, we said other observations by other people found that the areas of the brain that are the most active over, let's say, a 24-hour period, the areas of the brain that are firing the most are the areas that later on develop amyloid deposition or Alzheimer's pathology. So it turns out that during wakefulness versus during sleep, your brain is, is not surprising that it's more active during wakefulness, including including these areas that develop amyloid deposition. So um, we did a series of experiments to show that the amyloid peptide normally, very rapidly, is, is being regulated by the sleep-wake cycle. So it's higher during wakefulness and lower during sleep. And if we manipulated the sleep-wake cycle, so if we caused animals to be sleep-deprived, they produced more amyloid beta, and they developed amyloid pathology much earlier in life, and more of it. And if we, tr if we treated them with um, certain drugs that caused them to sleep a little bit longer, it delayed the onset of pathology, of amyloid pathology. So the implications would be, we don't, we don't know in human beings, if you have sleep deprivation at different times in your life, whether that's going to contribute to Alzheimer's disease yet. I think these results suggest that prolonged sleep deprivation have, has that potential to do that. We obviously we need to study humans. I mean, our studies in mice were very short. I mean, I think the human brain probably things happen a lot on much more extended time scale. But I, we are in the process now of trying to work out experiments in humans to see if any of these observations are relevant. Um, in the meantime, I certainly would suggest not getting very sleep deprived for long, for, for you know a long, long period of time. I mean, you know, one night, two nights, I, I doubt that's going to do anything. But on the other hand, you know, prolonged sleep deprivation, we already know prolonged sleep deprivation isn't good for cardiovascular health and, and other aspects of, of uh, brain function. So I wouldn't be surprised if it is if it if it would precipitate Alzheimer's disease, but it might require a lot. Of, of deprivation to do that. So we're, you know, I think we should figure this out more because I think it's important. So maybe there's not a huge risk for students during the sleep-deprived few weeks of finals, but it's figuring out these clues into how the disease works and how the human brain works that draws researchers like Dr. Holtzman to the profession. Like many people that go in to study as a neurologist or neuroscientist, they're interested in how the brain works. So that, that I was early on. I think the other major thing, though, is, is in somebody interested in how the brain dysfunctions in normal human health, when I first was um, 
at the end of undergrad and during med school, it was very clear that of all the major disorders of humans, actually, not just of the brain, Alzheimer's disease is one of those, and we knew almost nothing about it. And to me, that was very motivating to try to work on something where this is a really major public health issue and major neurological disorder that, you know, up to half the people over the age of 85 <laughs> develop. You know, we ought to really learn more about this so and, and find out if it is something that's, that's treatable. And I think what's emerged over the last 25 years is that it really should be something treatable, which is really exciting. Dr. Holtzman isn't the only expert with this level of optimism about the future of Alzheimer's research and treatment. And thankfully, with good reason. I think it's probably worth stating that a lot of the research going on in Alzheimer's disease in, in the field is being really um, stimulated by a lot of the work, not just in my lab here on Alzheimer's, but many of the other labs that we probably... I would argue we, we have probably the richest group of research activities going on in this field of anywhere in the world. As an example, um, we hope within a few months that in this very rare form of Alzheimer's disease where people get disease in their 30s and 40s, we will be leading, meaning we, meaning Randy Bateman and John Morris and many other colleagues here at Washington University, will leading the first ever prevention trial in Alzheimer's disease in this special population of people who are predisposed to get it. So, and there are very many efforts here across the board in developing ways to detect Alzheimer's disease in that, what we call the preclinical period, where you're developing Alzheimer's changes, but you're still normal, so that as better therapies are developed, that we can target people in that special window to hopefully prevent them from getting the disease. And a lot of that work has really come out of many people's work here at WashU. It's an exciting time to work on this. Many thanks to Dr. David Holtzman for contributing to Hold That Thought. Dr. Holtzman is the Andrew B. and Gretchen P. Jones Professor and Head of Neurology at the School of Medicine at Washington University in St. Louis. You can find a link to his faculty page, as well as more topics to explore, at thought.artsci.wustl Edu. That's thought.artsci.wustl.edu. Thanks for listening.